in almost all spiritual disciplines work has always been given a secondary importance which is not only in the Vedantic discipline but even in other, other spiritual lines work has not been appreciated for its spiritual value. Everywhere, all along, work has been looked upon as a means of bondage, forging karma, and tying up in knots. The aim of spiritual effort has been to release oneself from the bondage of karma affected by work, action, with the result that in the case of liberated persons, persons who have achieved freedom from nature, works are dispensable. Even in disciplines like the Buddhist, particularly the Mahayana, it is presumed that the works are done for humanity, for their purifying effect on the individual. Even in the Gita, which is supposed to preach Karma Yoga, it has been made very clear that this world is anityam masukham transient, unhappy. But work is a law and you have to do work. So they say, do the niyatam karma. Niyatam karma has always been looked at, treated as the prescribed work, the prescribed work which again is interpreted as rituals, worship and such movements which are preparatory to the higher spiritual life. Shankara himself is very clear on this point that works have a temporary value inasmuch as they prepare the individual through purification. But afterwards, it is just the wheel that has been once turned that goes round. Works have no 
value or significance for a liberated person. Sri Aurobindo points out that even in the case of the Gita, the Niyatam Karma does not mean the prescribed action. It means the karma for which you are appointed. Appointed by whom? Not by scripture, not by the priest, not by the system, but by your nature. In the Gita also in further chapters, it has been made very clear. Svabhavaniyatam karma. It is your svabhava. The way of being, the way of living, the way of functioning, the temperament. That determines what is the work you are to do. It is in this line that Sri Aurobindo and Mother treat work as something specially valuable. Work is indeed valued for its purificatory service, like learning to do work unegoistically, in a spirit of consecration, and things of that type. But even afterwards, even after your consciousness is developed, works have a greater importance. Work is as much important as knowledge, as love, as any kind of dedication at any level. It is only in this ashram that so much importance has been given to work as part of sadhana, not as an ingredient of preparatory stage. It continues all through. First, as a means of purifying and enlarging the consciousness and thereafter as a means of manifesting the truth for which you are born. Each individual is charged with a particular truth. That is what is called the real idea. You go on working it out. That is your ray of truth to manifest. And your work has to be in tune with this requirement. So when Mother says, there is a work for you, and that work is something which you alone can do. Find it out. It is a difficult requirement. She herself points out 
that how do you first determine what is the work you are to do you are you alone can do the normal human tendency is for one to feel well well that is the work that i alone can do and i am fitted to do do i have the capacity am i trained and equipped enough to do that work it is not possible she says to know what exactly is the work that you are to do because it has to answer to the deepest demand of your being and hence you can be perfectly conscious sure what is your work only when you are awake in your inmost depth and there you know it is self evident what you are to do so first you have to practice a discipline of becoming conscious of deeper and deeper levels of your being to find out what is the essential truth around which you have to organize your life till then very few very very few are so circumstanced that they are immediately conscious of what they are to do and even if you are conscious how many are circumstanced to take up that kind of work very very few for them she says for the most till you are absolutely certain whatever work you do whatever work comes to you you have to do it with sincerity and perseverance to the best of your lights it is only by learning to do whatever work comes to you that you learn and you become able to do the work for which you are destined at some time some point of time is bound to arrive when the work meant for you comes to you if it does not it means you are not yet ready till then what whatever work comes one has to do in a spirit of consecration and utilize it to develop faculties which will be useful for the particular work which is indicated to you there are artists for instance who are not circumstanced to be artists from the beginning there are <coughs> musicians they have to earn their living 
in a very humdrum way. They, they cannot say in the present conditions of the world that they will only paint or they will only sing. Those days are gone. So we have to make the best of the circumstances and learn to work in whatever sphere we are called upon. We should always make a distinction, she, points, she says, between what you wish to do and what you are capable of doing. I may flatter myself saying that I'm going to do this, I'm going to be a poet, I'm going to preside over a particular sphere of activity, a workshop, a studio. But have I got the capacities? I have to honestly look into myself. And instead of judging things from the surface, to look deeper in myself and find out whether I have the necessary capacities, the necessary potential. And in looking at this question, she says that there are two errors which are possible. One is mistaking desires for realities. I have a desire to occupy a chair of a head of a department. But have I, do I really have that capacity? Can I really discharge the responsibilities that go with the chair? These are matters that one has to ask oneself in honesty. Even if you see that the particular role is meant for you, it is only after years of methodical and persevering effort that that position is offered to you, whatever may be the state of things in the competitive world outside. Here in Mother's World, we have seen that inevitably people find themselves in positions which are best calculated to further their sadhana. The positions may be very innocuous. They may be very apparently derogatory to status from the status point of view. But they are exactly what are needed to mold the individual in the spirit of what he is to be in future. There is a providence at work which always says that whatever the beginning, whatever the hesitations in the beginning, things adjust themselves and the persons find themselves in the right position. May not be right from their external point of view, but to a deeper vision, they are right. If the first error 
is to mistake desires for realities. The second error is underestimating one's latent powers and accepting as final some work which is beneath one's abilities and capacities. One has always to keep one's eye high, accept what is possible, but don't forget the latent powers in yourself. And in the course of equipping yourself, there are certain precautions. First is not to utilize a position for self-assertion. Each one has his idea of what is right, what is good, what, what is should be done. But if, when, when such ten people of this type gather, there is bound to be differences of opinion. In such a situation, he says, you should not be self-assertive. Allow others to express themselves. It is, once you express what you feel, thereafter the same right must be extended to others and you have to accept certain compromises, at least to carry the majority, the people with you. And then the slant of pleasing people, of getting appreciation from others invariably leads to making concessions to their expectations. And there, in doing so, you wander away from your dharma. Third is self-admiration. And once this self-admiration starts, it obscures the ideals, the ideal that one has, one loses sight of it. With all this background, within the limits of one's work, one has to always ask oneself, what can I do better? better today than yesterday. And once it is, I find out where I have to make up and work for it, there is an inner spontaneity. There is a direction, there is a guidance, there is an instruction from within. How I am to proceed? And that leads to a gradual and growing perfection. 
and we have discussed so often that perfection is not something static, something fixed, but it is a dynamic process. Today's perfection is not tomorrow's because perfection, as Mother has repeatedly pointed out, is the harmonization of all the elements present in a situation. Situations change and the degree of harmonization, the type of harmonization that is called for also changes. So the, the key point here is that you cannot know what is right for you, what you are what is the role that you have to play unless you wake up within and you listen to the inner direction. And if that is a far cry, you have to accept the situation in which you are placed and use it to develop the faculties which are latent without self-admiration, self-assertion, and trying to please others. This is the general background. And then, the next question arises, if one is to work without a personal slant, but work as part of a general situation, refusing to make oneself the center. In other words, impersonally, work impersonally, what is the greatest obstacle? Obstacles there are. But what is the greatest one? And the greatest obstacle, she says, arises from the imperfection of physical matter in which all of us share. We all are based on physical matter and the imperfection of that matter is reflected within ourselves. The inertia, the ignorance, the obstinacy, all these which are part of the physical matter are reflected in each individual. But that is the general situation. But individually, what is that obstacle? That, she says, is the illusion of personality. Each one thinks he is distinct, he is separate from all others. This is the very basis, this division is the very basis of our existence. Naturally, this is a lie, this is a falsehood. Somewhere in the subconscious, each individual knows that though he feels separate, he is related to others, he is connected with others, 
in some way or other. So there is a subconscious or an unconscious attempt to relate oneself to the generality and to be one with it. But what usually happens is that each one tends to make himself the center. I am the center not only of my limited self, but the whole of the world in which I live. This leads to absorption in oneself and center, referring to oneself as the center. That vitiates the whole vision and the work. This is not the right process of identifying with the whole. That process is to give oneself, not to draw the whole to oneself with oneself as the center, but to give oneself to the world, to give oneself to others. And the second difficulty is excessive conservatism. This also derives from the illusion of personality, individuality. I don't want to part with anything that is myself or what I consider to be essential elements of myself, my existence. I resist every attempt to change. This is a kind of fixity of nature, mental, moral, and physical. We hold on to our elements, forgetting that we cannot stand alone. We are a link, each one is a link in the universal chain. Of course, each link has a purpose, each link has a value, but by itself, the link doesn't have special significance. There is the analogy she gives of cells in the body. There are so many cells, and it is understood that all these cells are necessary for the whole to function. And each cell derives its existence from the whole. But it is also true that each cell has its own contribution to make. Each cell has a role to play. That is its own. But there is a mutual interdependence between the single cell and the whole collection of collectivity of cells. It is with this analogy man has to look at the situation of himself and the collectivity. He has a special role 
to manifest the divine consciousness. And another also has his role to play. And all together, <coughs> playing their roles, ultimately manifest the same one divine consciousness. So the main obstacle in impersonal wo work is this illusion of personality, division from others, and a vain effort to appropriate things of the world to oneself instead of contributing to the world what one can contribute best. Personality, individuality have a role, but a preparatory role. Once, at some moment of time, personality has to yield to impersonality. But the personality does not cease to exist. It ceases to exist as a separately organized personality. It functions as a center, first as a channel, first as an instrument, then as a channel, and then as a center for the manifestation of the one consciousness. With these remarks, we conclude our discussion of work. As we observed earlier, work is a highly challenging field for those who are sincere. Work without consciousness, without self-awareness, turns out to be labor. It is just exertion. It has no spiritual value. But work done with consciousness, with an awareness, of what one is doing, work done relating the situation of the work to the center within, always keeping in mind the requirement of general harmony becomes a sure means of progress, dissolution of the ego, which by knowledge alone, by discrimination alone, one cannot get rid of the ego, which is the enemy of spiritual life. But by conscientious dedication in work and doing it consciously, the ego thins out and there is an evolution of the joy of the soul, which floods out all the wrong elements of ignorance and ego. For that work has to be approached with a sense of holiness, 
That is why Mother says work is worship. For us, it has become a catchword, a phrase. But when you look deeper into it, it contains a whole philosophy. Work is not a means, not a preparation, but worship itself. And worship is not an external ritual, but a pouring out of what one is and what one has at the feet of one whom one adores.